many of you were here for last week's message with my mom, or you saw it on Facebook? You, you watched it on Facebook. All right? If you, if you don't have your hand up, you're backslidden, so let's get this corrected. Um, no, you need to take the time out if you, if you can this week. Um, even if you just put the audio on in the car and listen to it, it's also on our podcast, our iTunes podcast, so you can listen to it there also. But I encourage you to listen to it. It's, a, it's just one of those messages that um, you just need to hear. It's, it's one of those kind of icon messages you'll remember. It'll be in your top 10 for a long, long time. Um, so just listen to it. I'm going to kind of piggyback off of some of what she said last week that was so challenging and so great as a body of believers to hear and understand. And she talked about the importance of asking questions. One of the powerful quotes she used last week is she said, that Jesus understood um, the power of a question and the limitations of an answer. Um, And so I'm going to really preach a message today that ends in a question. Uh, I want to ask a question of us all. It's something that we need to ask ourselves as a body of believers, but also individually ourselves. Um, We're going to skip to the end, and this is why. I was watching a movie recently. How many of you ever seen the movie Next with Nicolas Cage? Next. Anyone see that movie? Oh, boy. Apparently it was low rated. Okay. Um, In there, he says this. He actually says it twice. He says it in the beginning, and he says it towards the end. The key with the, the movie or the premise of the movie is Nicolas Cage can see two minutes into the future. Just two minutes, not two and a half minutes, two minutes. So he knows what's coming up in the next two minutes um, at any given moment. And so uh, that's kind of the premise of the movie. But one of the things he says in the movie is he says, here is the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it. And that changes everything else. I'm going to read it to you again. It'll make more sense at the end, I promise you. He says, here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it, and that changes everything else. Now, I'm going to make this make sense for you, hopefully, um, because I I, I want to ask first this, this kind of side question for a moment. What if we know the end? What if we can skip to in the future to the very end and we know the end of the story? What if we can go ahead in time and we know where God is, how he feels, and what his heart is for humanity? What if we could just do that right now? What if we could skip ahead into the future? And so I thought, that's what we're going to do today in service. We're going to skip to the end. Because if we can skip to the end and understand the heart of God in the end of the written word and then go backwards through the word of God and understand his words and commandments through the lens of the end. Basically, when it's all said and done, the the characters, the stories, the, the, the new and old come, everything's said and done at the very end, what is the heart of God? And if we can read the scriptures, interpret the scriptures, live the scriptures, live the word of God, and come from a place in our heart that's through that lens, it will literally shift and change everything. So let's go to the end, Revelation 22. 
Revelation 22, 17, to be exact, is really the last scripture in the Bible, even though there's a couple more verses. The rest of them are just, hey, this is how you need to read Revelation and see you later, signing off, the end of the book. But this is kind of the last meat, if you will. He ends the story with this. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This says, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Uh, the King James Version says, whosoever will, let him come drink of the rivers or the waters of life freely. My question today for you that we're going to leave here with is, who is whosoever? We can't just decide to define who whosoever is based on our own prejudice, our own thoughts, our own feelings. We really have to ask God, God, who is whosoever? My mom's message last week was so great when she said that the rich man said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And instead of answering his question, he answered it with a story, and then he turned the question back on the rich man. And he said, who is your neighbor? Who is the neighbor in the story? Of course, the story he told was the Good Samaritan. In the context of him answering that, you understand Jesus is making a very clear and defined point to this rich man. He's saying to him, I want to define, I want to help you understand who that whosoever is. You want to look like me? You want to talk like me? You want to see uh, my, my kingdom expand, my glory go forward in the earth? Find out who whosoever is. You want the key to quote-unquote revival? Well, I got news for you. Revival's here if we would stop arguing and fighting with one another and boxing people out and creating our own little pet theologies. Revival is here. It's waiting for us to actually just, just stop the nonsense and realize that Jesus came and he died for all. Whosoever will let them come. The only thing in this equation, I, I'm going to read this for you, but the only thing in this equation is are you willing to come? There's no other caveats, there's no other uh, hurdles, there's no other obstacles here. If you go back, you can begin to see that there was prophetic words about this that, that we end the story with, but there was, there was these traces all along of this idea of whosoever will let them come to the waters. In, in Isaiah 55, it says, let everyone who thirsts come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without Price sounds like grace to me. You don't have it. You can't earn it. You don't got it in your pocket. You walk in and you get it anyway. Come on. Come on in. I'm not even here to check your credentials, your credit card, your debit card. Come walk right on in. And then verse 2 says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. He's literally offering, there's this invitation to the whosoever will to come and be abundantly blessed. You know, I, I think sometimes we take the theology of inheritance or our mansion in heaven, and I think that we use it to, to really control people in the church. 
We say if you give this much, if you attend this much, if you volunteer this much, if you say the right things, if I never have to counsel you for getting yourself in trouble or show up to bail you out of jail, then you're super duper extra Christian and you're going to just look at you, just add another room to your mansion in heaven and on and on and on and on. And that's all wonderful and dandy. I believe God has blessed us, will bless us and continues to bless us. But at the end of the day, the way this reads right now, there's an inheritance, a glorious, abundant inheritance that is waiting for you, whether you've been saved for an hour and did everything wrong for all 60 of those minutes, or you've been saved for 30 years, whether you've given it all, or you've given nothing, there is an inheritance waiting for all who will come who are thirsty and waiting. And this is not an offering message, okay? This isn't gonna get you out of every dime you've got in your pocket by telling you this because you're like, wait, well, why should I give? You're gonna give because it's, the, it's, the, it's an overflow of the abundance of who Christ is inside of you. You're generous by nature. I don't have to get you to buy yourself into heaven or to expand your mansion. There is an inheritance and an abundance waiting for all who are thirsty and all who will come. There's a river of life that's flowing waiting for you. And that river is alive. I remember last week sitting here thinking, I know what some folks in this room are thinking because I was nervous when she was preaching. It's about time. Somebody makes me nervous, right? My dad makes me nervous when he preaches just because of the way he looks at me, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Still going back to my childhood. I need to fess up to something here, all right? Um, but no, my mom, when she was speaking last week, I knew that folks were feeling in their minds or saying, because she kept talking about the word is evolving, the word is evolving, and you want to make Christians lose their minds and their brain matter be splattered on the walls. You say the word is evolving. I was like, mom's losing her mind. <laughs> no, really though, the, the word is, is, so this is the question, does the word ever change? It never changes. But our understanding is always evolving. Our capacity to understand the well that is inside of us is ever expanding. It is growing. You might love somebody in, in, on day one and you think, I could not love this person more. And then 50 years later, your capacity to love them has expanded and you're still full to the top and you still feel full of love. But your capacity, what you can carry for them, what you understand about them, the trials you've been through with them has expanded so greatly. Doesn't mean you didn't love them on day one. But the word, it's like the strata my mom talked about, the layers of strata over time. Uh, they, my sister and her went rafting uh, through the Grand Canyon, the Colorado River. Yes, I got my ge geography right. I want to call it the Columbia River or something. I think I'm hungry. Anyways, um, the, the Colorado River, they went rafting down at over 200 miles, and 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 they would look, and you could see the, the layer upon layer of rock. You know what the most important part of that is? Is that every layer is solid and may no longer be visible or even relevant, but it's solid. So I look back on my past. I look back on my experience. I look back on my ever-changing understanding in theology, and I don't regret a single moment or day of it. I don't say I wasted my time in that service or that service because I was taught this, and now I understand this. No, I realized that it was building block upon block, and that I'm here today because of what I learned then, and that the journey of faith is like that. But God is the same way with his word. His word is building on top of it, confirming, expanding our understanding. And the beautiful thing is, he's still pouring out his word. Yeah. 
It may not be written and translated over time, but dare I say, there's a purity and the voice of God speaking directly to your heart. And if it lines up and confirms and adds to like a layer of rock to the written word of God, then, then you can begin to expand and open your heart and understand to what God is saying today. My mom said this last week, quit looking for answers and seek understanding. We want answers. We want to know, is the hurricane coming here or is it not coming here? We want to know, you know, everything in our life. We want to know. Tell me up front, what's going to happen here? The new thing is, is when people get hired, you hear this from business owners all the time. Like day one, they're like, so when do I get to take vacation days? It's like, just let's get going here a little bit. We'll talk about that, right? We want to know up front everything, right? We want answers, 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 answers. The problem is, is like she said, answers limit you. Because if you have an answer, then why seek for anything more? Right? So does the word change? No, it doesn't change. But our capacity to understand it does change. And when your capacity to understand it and your understanding evolves and changes, when you begin to realize that at the end of this story, he's saying there is a wide open, that the spirit and the bride of Christ unite together as one. And we open our arms and we say, whosoever will let them come. If you realize that, you read the words of Paul, you read the words of Moses, you read the words uh, 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 through, uh, from Isaiah or Jeremiah, you read them totally different, knowing that in the end, this is the posture of our heavenly father. And if something, <laughs> we, 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 I said this in the first service and some folks came up to me afterwards and were like, oh, I need some clarity on what you said, which I totally get. I understand because it's a little trippy. It's okay. But this is, this is, this is the thing that, the, the, I think the phrase that we have used the, that's done the most damage of any other phrase is that is the Bible clearly says. My mom said this last week. She said, well, if the Bible clearly says, then why are there 40,000 denominations all seeing the Bible clearly? No, you clearly hear what you want to hear. But the Bible, very little of the Bible clearly says anything. As a matter of fact, Jesus almost, almost refused to be pinned down to an answer. And when he was pinned down to an answer, he would look at them and say, I'm the way. I'm the truth. You want some little extra, you know, like package deal here where we're, we're going to give you this little line or, you know, we're going to give you this little note uh, that'll help you feel good about this situation. And he's saying, no, no, I am the answer. I am the answer to your question. I am the one that has come to show you the way. I am truth. I am this. Well, what about this teacher? What about that teacher? And he says, no, no, you've, you've heard what you think you hear, but you haven't heard what I've said. And my question to you is this, if we, can, if we can understand what is being said, for instance, this is a totally different message from the first service, not really. In John 3, 16, it says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John 8, 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46, I come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Acts 2.21, and it, came, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Over and over and over again, we see this theme from the heart of God where he's saying whosoever. But do we ever ask ourselves the question, who is whosoever? And are we honest with ourselves? 
I, I, I think Jesus, in his limited time here on earth, began to paint a picture and give us a template of what maybe the whosoever would be. But we have to understand the culture of the day. And we have to ask ourselves, who are those people today? Five people groups Jesus, uh, I just picked out that, that, that might, uh, might get you to understand how radical he was. I, I, I actually think this church, I think that Jesus would be labeled a heretic today. That was a very quiet response. Are you okay with that? That we as a church have created a culture where Jesus himself would probably be considered a heretic. He would definitely be labeled a goat by the religious elite. Yeah, they killed him. Yeah, we, we like to be like those, those Romans and those Jews turned on their own. We would have done the same thing. Because he came and he was blowing up people's boxes and tearing down centuries, millennial old traditions that were ingrained in the culture and heart of every community. And he came and he said, let This word's so spicy, it's just blowing things up. He said, let me show you let me actually tell you, I know you said you've heard or you've read, but let me tell you who I really am, why I really came, who I came for. First people group was women. That doesn't sound maybe like a big deal to you today, but women were property. Women were like cattle. Women were not allowed to approach a man and speak to him. You'd be beaten. And if a man approached you to speak to you, you would hold, hold your head down. When a woman was on her cycle, she would have to leave the house. Literally go live with the animals. That was normal. That was as normal as me and you going to the grocery store and expecting there to be apples. That was normal culture and life. And Jesus came and went, mm -mm -mm -mm. I don't care what you've done for thousands of years. I don't care what you think is proper here. This is not my heart. Now, why can't we today allow our little boxes to be blown up in the same way? Why do we get so defensive over what we think we clearly know and understand when Jesus came to a people group that clearly thought they knew the heart of the Father and said, guys, you're missing it. Do you understand that Christianity, our entire faith, was born out of a group of people that looked at a culture and looked at a religious system and went, something's wrong here? And now today, if somebody steps back in a pulpit and says, something is wrong, we need to change our understanding, we need to go beyond where we're at, people go, well, he's just a, a, you know, just a heretic. He's, he's a Democrat, that man's a... Republican, he's a Republican conservative wall-building demon. He's a liberal Democrat, wants to give all the money away to everybody. No, I don't care about politics. I don't care less. You know, none of them are in control. You want to know who has the authority? We do. He gave it to us. We're too busy kowtowing to some, you know, uh, 
political uh, agenda from somewhere. You know, I'm so tired of it. And then, we're, then the church gets so upset that we're so powerless because we've turned our power over to people because somebody might say, I read the Bible. And we're like, he reads the Bible. He doesn't. I'm voting for the one that reads the Bible. You don't know who reads the Bible and who doesn't read the Bible. Vote your conscience what you feel is right, but leave religion and faith out of it. Like for real. Oh, there's only 14 people that are excited about that. Leave it out of it. You know why? Because I'm not turning my responsibilities as a believer and a citizen of this country and this world and what God's anointed me and you to do over to some government who at the end of the day, all they want is money anyways, money and power. God's given us the authority to do something. Church, we have been so bamboozled and tricked into fighting and creating denominations and doing all this stuff, forgetting at the end of the story, he's saying, whosoever will, let them come. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I don't... So women, y'all messing me up. Women, <laughs> ladies, ladies and gentlemen, women, listen, this is, this is, Jesus does some crazy things. He talks to the woman at the well. He, he, who is not just a woman, but a Samaritan, his own disciples say to him, why are you talking to her? Why are you talking to that woman? You, you have the woman with the issue of blood who he doesn't just heal, but he calls her daughter. He places value as a human being upon her. And then, then the woman who, who uh, is doubled over from spiritual oppression, he calls her a daughter of Abraham, which is like, you might as well just hang it up. He's, this is what he's doing. He's conferring on her a spiritual status equal to her male counterparts. I mean, he, he'd be checked into the Christian loony bin today, doing the same thing. Think about the context. So my question to you is, who is the women of today? The second group that he went that he made very clear that he wanted to love. The second group was the poor. That was another part of the all-inclusive whosoever will let them come. It was the poor. And there's tons of stories about that. I don't want to take up time in my message today, but it was the poor. The third group was the unclean. Whether it was the lepers who came to him, who were outcasts of society, or it was the woman with the issue of blood who was also considered unclean. Jesus made it very clear that the unclean were welcome in his presence and they had just as much value and opportunity and inheritance for healing, for wholeness as any other person that came to him. The fourth thing was, uh, I, I, don't, I can't spend a lot of time, but hopefully you get this. The fourth thing was, um, uh, was the oppressors. He healed the child of a centurion, which was a Roman uh, military figure who would have been responsible for persecuting, killing the very people that Jesus said he came to save, king of the Jews. And not only did he heal this child of this man who had done terrible things, he actually said, I haven't seen a faith like this in all of Israel. He complimented the man's faith. Who are the women? Who are the poor? Who are the unclean? Who are the oppressors in today's society? Who are they? Because whoever they are, they're part of the whosoever. The fifth 
one I want to mention, and there's more, so sorry if I missed yours. The fifth one was racial enemies. The Samaritans, whether it was the woman at the well or it was the good Samaritan, the story my mom told the Samaritans were like, I mean, we don't even have an equivalent today. If you think the, the, the racial tension of today, black versus white or whatever it may be, it was nothing compared to what was going on in that time with Samaritans. It was, and not to belittle what's happening today, I don't want to, you to feel that, but it was, it was horrible, the war that was going on. And Jesus made it very clear, not just the, the story of the Good Samaritan, but the woman at the well, he made it very clear that even our racial enemies, even our, those that have oppressed us, the unclean, the poor, whoever they are today, whoever those whosoever are today, they can receive healing too. There's an inheritance waiting at the river of life for them too. There's an abundance, not just enough. There's an abundance waiting for them too. I'm so glad this church looks so weird. (laughs) I I, I said this in the first service, and and I don't know. I probably shouldn't say it in this one. I'm going to say it anyway. Like, if this church ever becomes just this cute little, you know, old Navy white church... Starbucks, Tivana tea, and Toyota Camry with 300,000 miles in perfect shape. Sensible. Like, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Like, we need some pepper up in this salt. You know what I'm saying? If, and all the shades in between. I, I, I want people from all walks of life, all places, all thoughts, all groups, all people come. I, I, I said this earlier. I'm like, there's something about um, y'all, y'all who are people of color in this room. You're just going to have to give me a pass on this one, okay? There's something about, about, there's something about a black mama. I know. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh. See, you white mamas, you're sweet. Like, if I come to you and I'm, I'm really struggling with something or somebody, y'all, like, we'll get you some therapy. I'm going to bake you an apple pie. We'll get you feeling better. You come to a black mom and you say, they say, what's wrong, baby? They say, what's wrong, baby? You say, mom, I, I got, they say, who, who did that to you, baby? Who did that to you, baby? All of a sudden, who? It could be scissors. It could be a butter knife. It don't matter. She's going to hurt somebody real quickly. Now, we need the therapy in apple pie, but we also need somebody to say, who did that to you, baby? You know what I'm talking about? We need each other. We have this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God where he's saying, whosoever will let them come. And I got to tell you, we need them all. Come on.
Now, all right, uh, okay, Tucker, you convinced me not just to talk about black mamas. I'll talk about black papas too, all right? If you have not been hugged by Tucker, you haven't been hugged. First of all, he always smells great. It's like, I think he does like, I don't know what you wear, Tuck, but you always smell amazing. And when Tuck hugs you, you know you're loved. And when Tuck says in your Dan, I love you, you know you're loved, right? Well, $5 a piece, we'll do it after service. Tuck will get you up here. But folks, if this, is, if this is just a small picture, Jesus couldn't say it all, he couldn't do it all, of what it would look like for us to understand who the whosoever is. And the thing is, is that you would have looked at him with the woman at the well, the Samaritan, and you would have said, what are you doing? As a matter of fact, his own disciples who loved him, who laid down their jobs and their lives to follow him, said to him, why? What are you doing? Why are you talking to her? But you have to read it and understand it from the context of the end of the story. Because the end of that story is found in verse 39 of John 4. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me that all I ever did So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, I want you to think about that story. I want you to think about the context of that he was reaching out to somebody that we in modern day Christianity would say is not a part of the whosoever. Samaritan woman. His own disciple said she is not included in this. But the end of the story was he changed the future of a city. He changed the future, not just of her life, but an entire city, the city of Samaria, the town of Samaria. He went there and many believed. Why? Because he stopped for somebody that the religious people had said weren't included in the whosoever. I'm going to read you that quote again. It's going to make sense to you now. Here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it. And everything and changes everything else. You see, when we live our life today through the lens of the end of the story, which is that whosoever will, let them come. The spirit and the bride say, come. That there's an inheritance waiting for you that you can't pay for, earn, deserve, none of it. If we realize that at the end of the story, that's the heart of the father, it will change backing up to John 4. It'll change what we do right now. It'll change that I know I'm not supposed to go talk to that woman that's at that well, but I know the end of the story. And he said, whosoever will let them come. So I'm going to go talk to her because I know the end of the story. I know the heart of God. And so I'm going to go talk to her. And by talking to her, because I saw into the future, listen to me, my present situation looks differently because I looked into the future for a moment. I know the end of the story. So what happens is the future for that city and that woman and the people touched by him staying there were changed. So the future changed because I changed how I saw the future. Come on. Do you understand it now? This can't happen if you have all the answers. 
This can't happen if you shut down your willingness to expand your capacity to understand. This can't change anything until you realize, God, I need to understand more than I need answers. I need to ask good questions and not just find people with simple answers. So my question today is that. Who is the whosoever? And what in tarnations are me and you doing about them? And we'll say, Pastor Dan, you, you guys have a food bank and you have Harvest House and your outreach department is probably bigger than any church in town. Even churches that are 100 times the size of us or 50 times the size of us. You say, well, you know, aren't you guys doing enough? Nope. As long as there are people in our city that don't think they have a right to come to the river of life, then we're not doing enough. And the only way we do it is if every single one of us get this burning deep down in our hearts and our souls, where we realize that there is more people who are a part of that whosoever will. And we have to join with the spirit of God that's already declared it for generations and become the true bride of Christ that joins with the spirit of God and says, come. Guess what? The ones who need rest are the wearied ones. The ones that need food are the hungry ones. The ones that need a little cleaning up are the ones that are dirty. The ones who need hope are the ones that are hopeless. When they come, it's a mess. Just like me and you. It's a mess. It gets messy. But I don't know, church. I think we're pretty well on our way to being a whosoever church, but I want more. And I'm going to warn you. I'm going to warn you right now. It's going to stretch your boundaries. If you leave this church because your boundaries and capacity for the whosoever was stretched too far, I need you to go to the end of the book and reread it. So Pastor Dan, maybe you're trying to build a big, bigger church. No, I'm trying to build a church that looks like the heart of God. I'm trying to join with the other pastors of this church to ask the tough questions and to not be afraid to say, we can do more. We can be different. We can treat people better. We can do more to reach people that have been shunned and kicked out. We can do it. Who is the whosoever? And what am I doing about them? What are you doing about them? I'm not going to give you a cute answer. That's what I want you to leave with. Asking yourself, who is the whosoever?